University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. As I get older, I'm trying to have more of a fine appreciation of art. I really appreciate the art of music and a film. Um, of course, there are so many different forms of visual art beyond my understanding and comprehension. And since we are in a French settlement, let's take, for example, the great French Claude Monet. Now, he is the founder and most prolific practitioner of what's called French Impressionist painting. The term Impressionism actually comes from one of Monet's painting, Impression Sunrise. His popularity grew in fame in the late 19, uh, early 1900s, and however, around the year 1907, Monet began to deal with problems of his eyesight. He was starting to go blind. And how do you continue to paint when you cannot see clearly? And yet some of his most remarkable paintings actually came as he was going blind, his most famous water lilies. And although his sight failed, Monet was able to imagine beyond what he could see. You see, sometimes it's difficult for us to see clearly where God is leading, both individually and collectively as a faith community. Obscurity and a lack of precise steps will also lead to frustration and confusion and missteps in our life. And the journey of following Jesus together is not a shot in the dark, uh, a glorified guesstimation. Instead, following Jesus is an invitation into an ongoing process of discernment in our lives. Discernment is the collaboration of, of openness and receptiveness and creativity and spiritual formation. And the 2020 vision that we are embarking on over the next couple of months is not about certainty or precise outcomes. The 2020 vision is about faithfulness to God and each other as a faith community. Through the 2020 vision, we are seeking to grow University Baptist Church in several strategic ways. We are enhancing how we are being formed spiritually. We are enriching the ways that we relationally minister to our community through the Mother's Day Out program, through the soccer academy, through connect groups. We are advancing our intergenerational ministry as we seek to care both for the youngest and the oldest within our faith community. We are edifying our diverse worship experience, and we are elevating our capacity to be a community of hospitality, both for our church members and for our guests. This 2020 vision is not a, a marketing ploy, but a profoundly spiritual invitation to bring our best selves to University Baptist Church and to God as we seek to exponentially grow as a faith community. And as we discern where God is leading, together we can boldly step forward in faith. So to begin this 2020 vision series, I want us to take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 4. It reads like this. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and grew daily 
in numbers. Now you know with me, context matters. So what Paul is doing in this moment is he's beginning to take the the confines of Christianity beyond the Jewish-centered mission of the church, and this began to raise conflict within the leaders of the church. You see, as Paul is leading these Gentiles to Jesus, some of the Jewish Christians were indignant that these Gentiles must be circumcised in order for them to be fully in the faith. Now, you can just see the pained look on everybody's face when you use the word circumcision. So we'll cut that conversation and get straight to the fact of what's happening here. You see, what, what the church is beginning to do is they're beginning to create categories of members. Some are in, some are out. Some are fully members, some not unless they fulfill these religious practices. And so what Paul is doing is a very Jesus-centric thinking. By taking this Jewish-centered movement beyond God's chosen people and to the outsiders, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and the church leaders didn't like it. And they debated over the matter. And that's what we're coming out of as we go into our text. Paul and his fellow companion Barnabas went to Jerusalem. They debated the matter with the church leaders of Peter and James and John. This is called the Jerusalem Council. And the church leaders gathered, they debated, they discerned, And they decided that they were no longer going to have insiders and outsiders, no longer where they were going to require these non-Jewish believers to commit certain religious practices in order to be full members. But the other significant thing that happens for our text this morning is they also discern and they debate and they vote that what Paul and Barnabas should do next is to go back to the churches that they had established and to encourage them. This is what they viewed to be the best use of their time and their talents and their resources, so the church sent them off. And coming out of this spiritual high of of winning the rights of these Gentile Christians, we soon find that Paul and Barnabas' bond together begins to break down. You see, Paul and Barnabas were this inseparable pair that collaborated on this beautiful work and ministry, except when it came to a young man named John Mark. You see, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them on this commission from the church, but Paul was still held up on the fact that John Mark got homesick on their trip before and left them early. And so this terrible division happens in the early church in which Paul and Barnabas, this inseparable friendship, begins to break down. Paul and his companions, they go out and they do what the church had discerned God had called them to do. Verse 5 tells us, They were strengthened, and the church grew daily in numbers. You see, great things happen when the people of God are doing the work of God, when we live out what God is calling us to. But the question I want us to consider this morning is, how do we make the decisions of our life? How do we make those moments every single day? I'm not talking about the decisions of, should I go tailgate at the game, or should I watch the game at home? You should always go tailgate, because the community is much better there. I'm not talking about the decisions of whether or not I'm going to jump on this new car deal or take another vacation or finally hit the gym in 2020. How do we make decisions in our life? Is God involved? How do you make those career decisions, the evaluations of how you're going to spend your money? But more importantly, how do we make those decisions as a faith community? How often do we seek God's vision for our journey as a faith community? 
Do we just create a long-range plan and gruel over committee meetings, over committee meetings, making sure that every word is perfectly penned to the point that we lose sight of what we set out in this visioning process in the first place, then actually step out in faith and do what God calls us to do? How do we determine how we as a faith community are being called by God? Is it the responsibility of a few people, of of the most vocal, of the biggest givers, of the church bully? And if we discern clearly where God is leading us, who's responsible for making that happen? Is it the paid pastoral staff? Is it the church leadership? Is it the people? And how do we individually get involved in this process? I mean, how much time is this going to take out of my personal schedule? More importantly, are you going to ask me to change anything about my specific area that I love so much? Also, do I have to sacrifice anything to fulfill God's calling? These are all questions that we consider as we discern what God is calling us to as a faith community. What about the timing in all this? When is this going to take place? How is it going to happen? This is the kind of moment that Paul finds himself in. He has discerned and the church has discerned exactly what God was calling them to do, except verse 6 happens. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They came to the border of Mysa, and they tried to enter into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysa and went down to Troas. The cynic Friedrich Nietzsche wrote. A casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows you that faith does not prove anything. I feel like this is the moment that Paul and his companions are finding in this moment. You see, they are doing exactly what the church leaders had voted and commissioned them to go and do. These are the very people that followed Jesus. The committee had met, they had discerned, they had voted, they had pulled their resources together, they had sent them off to do this So excuse me, why is this happening? Why is the Spirit of God blocking them from doing it? And what exactly did that look like? Are we talking about an actual roadblock? Was there some sort of road construction? Was there some sort of unearthly creature that was blocking their way? Was Gandalf standing there saying, You shall not pass! Okay, only a few Lord of the Rings dorks in here with me. Or did they sense in real time that God was not wanting them to move forward with this plan? We don't really know. What we do know is that the Spirit of God was not letting them do what they were supposed to be doing. So they headed to Troas to rest for the night. This is a tough place to be in. To have your plans stopped by God. Because it's a place of uncertainty of where you should go and what you should do next. I've been there. You've probably been there, haven't you? That's a place where you feel like nothing is right. A place of uncertainty because you thought you were being faithful to God. A place where you can't understand why the Spirit of God is not allowing you to move forward. This is the church where it finds itself today. You see, as the world rapidly changes around us, A shift has taken place that has been unnoticed for many of us. We are now living in a post-church world. And I don't mean for that statement to be a bludgeon on our noses. The hard reality is that for nearly 1,600 years, we have been living in Christendom. 
in which the Christian religion has been the centerpiece of society. Western culture, while it has influenced and been shaped by the church, now finds itself in a new day of post-Christian. And while Christianity can no longer claim any dominance within the population, we live in a time of religious plurality and competing worldviews. And according to a recent study, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches will close their doors this year and never reopen. That's a rate of 100 to 200 churches per week. And this is met by the decline of those who identify as Christian within the world's population has dropped over 10% in the last decade. Let those facts settle in for just a second. And yet at the same time, spirituality in America has never been higher. It's a multi-billion dollar industry of books and apps and retreat centers and gurus and fitness classes and group therapy sessions. The fact and the strange thing is that people are more spiritual today, they're just divorcing the church and never coming back. And many churches are stuck at a crossroads between what once was and what can be. And embracing this reality leads to fear and anxiety and dissolution, and all such things cause us to work out of a scarcity. And as we look back at our text, we must understand that the decision to do what Paul was doing was given to him by the very people who followed Jesus. They knew his teachings, they understood the Spirit of God, and felt clear about what Paul was calling them to, and yet they found themselves in a hard place of what just happened. We too find ourselves in this kind of place. You've been there. Something doesn't go the way you thought it should be. You wonder where God is in the process. What did I miss? What did I not see? What did I not hear? Could it be that church leaders simply must understood what God was calling Paul to do? Yes, of course. Could it be that you and I often misunderstand God? Absolutely. We live in a culture that wants to be right all the time, so much so that we've developed the habit that we can't admit that sometimes we get the God thing wrong. And it's okay to be wrong. Sometimes we simply misunderstand what God is calling us to do. And could it be that roadblocks to Micaiah is an important moment for Paul to be formed, to do something else? Could it be that the no's and roadblocks we face in our life, the incidents and encounters we have, are forming us to become something different? I'll give you a word of caution. We can all too often get caught up in the why question that we never move forward because it consumes us. I believe that there is opportunities here in which we can consider a why, but what we need to begin to consider is where God is leading us to next, and this is what happens in verse 9. During the night, uh, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I've had some crazy dreams in my life. I'm sure you've had some too. So you can imagine Paul envisioning a man that he's never seen before, asking him to come to a place he's never been before and to do a new type of work that he had never experienced before. Instead of getting frustrated and quitting, Paul came to a place of obedience. 
He was open to receive from God this vision. And Paul's willingness to follow the leadership of God gave him an opportunity to see this new thing that God was doing. We really don't like roadblocks. We don't like being told no. We really don't like misunderstanding and getting things wrong. Yet if we can draw ourselves to a place of obedience in God, then the roadblocks we face, we can begin to see that God will use them to form us into something better and deeper and more mature. You see, spiritual formation is the process of allowing God to shape us, the the stuff of our lives, so that we might be prepared to participate in accomplishing God's dreams, not only in our lives, but also for the world. And God is doing something in these Macedonian moments when they come. God is not necessarily making it abundantly clear to us, but God is desiring to shape and form us into something new. And it's all too easy to rush through roadblocks. No one likes to be uncomfortable. Nobody likes uncertainty. But it's in the uncertainty and uncomfortableness of this moment that God can do something profound. Therefore, when Macedonian moments come, it's time to pause and to listen and to see and to obey and to be formed by God. This was a moment of tremendous formation for Paul. It was a a moment of tremendous formation for the church as a whole. You see, in this moment of formation, the church was given the opportunity to go beyond what they could see and imagine. The first person that Paul is led to is a woman named Lydia. Lydia would become a staple and pillar of the early church movement. She was the first European convert. She hosted Paul. She, her acts of hospitality bolstered Paul into this new phase of ministry. Shortly after this, in the book of Acts, we learn that Paul is in prison. And that night we learn that an earthquake happens, and all the prisoners begin to think about escaping. Yet Paul shouts out to the jailer, we're all here. He prevents him from killing himself. He leads the man to Christ and later leads that man's family to Christ. Paul would soon lead Aquila and Priscilla to Christ, two people who would help him establish the church in Ephesus and strengthen them there. You see, as a result of the Macedonian vision, the churches in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens, in Corinth, in Galatia are established. The gospel was spreading into Europe. Thousands would come to Christ in this new journey. Then hundreds of thousands because of Paul's willingness to be shaped and obedient to this Macedonia vision. And yet in this moment, Paul chose to be faithful to God's leadership, to do what God was calling him to do. UBC, can we consider that maybe we are in our Macedonia moment? God's dream for University Baptist Church has expressed itself in a lot of iterations in the last 72 plus years. Yet one thing has remained consistent. We are called to be the faithful presence of Christ in Baton Rouge. What that looks like and how that takes shape has changed and morphed from the early days of the 1950s to the boom of the 1980s. And although the ministry of the church has transformed many times in the last 75 years, if we look close enough, we can begin to see that the passion and faithfulness of the generations that have come before us were willing to turn to the vision and leadership of God. The question is, 
that we are really trying to discern is, are we willing to go beyond what we can see and imagine? One of the ways that we are intentionally entering into a time of discernment and allowing God to form us through collaboration and openness and receptiveness is through our strategic growth initiative. We believe that God is uniquely preparing us for such a time as this. Where we are in Baton Rouge, who is within our faith community, the assets and resources we have are all components that have prepared us to be successful in living out God's vision now. And as we discover this new iteration of God's dream, we must open our eyes to see the growing and changing neighborhood around UBC. You see, within one square mile of UBC's campus, homes are being flipped by middle-aged and younger families, thousands of apartments have been built, startup companies are sparking, and 50,000-plus students and faculty converge on LSU's campus every single day. Are we willing to seek together a new vision of what is beyond what we can see and imagine? Why can't University Baptist Church experience exponential growth, simultaneously enhancing how we care for all of our members and serving the needs of our community? Why can't we be a church community that has uniquely positioned itself not only to draw in young families, but also to be a church that cares for people of all ages? Why can't we be a church that revitalizes existing methods of spiritual formation and creates new opportunities for people to be nurtured and strengthened and challenged to grow in their journey with Jesus? Why can't we be a church community that creates diverse worship experiences of sight and sound and learning styles? Why can't we establish unique forms of worship that nurture a multiplicity of people? Why can't we be a church community that provides a safe space for children to be cared for and taught by the best early childhood education teachers in Baton Rouge? And why can't we be the church that figures out how we bridge those families into our faith community? Why can't we be the church that finds cutting-edge ways of connecting people through like-interest groups? Why can't we be the church that finds unique ways to reach people online? Why can't we be the church that does the difficult and necessary work of understanding each generation, how they function, and why they are or are not connecting to the church? Why can't we be the church that recognizes our Macedonia moment is here? The question is, are we willing to boldly step forward in faith together? It is a new chapter to see that while the world around us has changed and is changing, we are uniquely placed in this location with these people and these circumstances to reach specifically all of this area in the way that God has called us to. It is a new chapter to grow our capacity of caring for this community through Christ. You have been uniquely equipped and prepared for a time as this. I have been uniquely prepared and equipped for a time as this. We collectively have been prepared and equipped for a time as this. Do we believe it? Do you believe that this is an opportunity for God to use you individually to add to the collective discerning of where God is leading us? 
Are you willing to step out in faith as an individual to contribute yourself to the Macedonian moment? Are you willing to follow the leadership of God into something beyond what you can see and imagine? Are we willing to do the necessary work to see the Macedonian vision become a reality? Do we believe it as a faith community? Do we believe in each other and trust that God is working through us? From our scripture this morning, we can see the remarkable invitation to be more open to the new things God is doing. Through the 2020 vision, we are seeking to not only be open, but to boldly, faithfully do what God is calling us to, to grow our faith community. And as we continue to discern God's leadership in 2020, may we enter into collaborative partnerships of openness and receptivity and creativity and spiritual formation. But may we also boldly step forward, not into an exact certainty or precise outcomes, but boldly to be faithful to God and to each other as a faith community.